This is Donna Otto, and we are modern homemakers, and this is the season of Lent. Lent, which is just another word for spring, and in the spring, we know that many things begin to bloom and sparkle and grow and blossom, and it is in the spring, sometimes later, sometimes earlier spring, that we celebrate um, the amazing crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And during these 40 days prior to Easter, prior to Holy Week, we get our hearts more ready to welcome him in a different and new way. Many years ago, I put together a basket instead of it being full of candy and chocolates and bunnies and rabbits. And I have some bunnies and rabbits around my house during the season but it was full of a symbol of every day of the last week of Lent, the week that many call Holy Week. I called it Week of Weeks. And I wrote a very simple play. If anyone is interested in that play, as a copy of it to have for Easter Sunday for the young children to work and do the acting while someone does the reading, just send me an email and I'll get you a copy of it. It's very old. I did it in the late 70s. And so at this time of the year, I'm so full of preparation for Holy Week. And even though we don't have children, we don't even have young grandchildren anymore. I took all the ingredients out for my Easter basket, which include a cross and a little sack that has dice in it that represent the the taking the dice to see who was going to get Christ's seamless garment and money and figs and everything that represents that last week, a palm. And so my my basket is sitting before me in the center part of our house. And as I come by it, I, I have this sense that everything I'm doing in these days is drawing my attention to what Christ did and how he did it, and why he did it for us. Along with these last statements of Christ spoken from the cross, I've been continuing down a very long journey on the Sermon on the Mount. And a few days ago, you listened to, hopefully, a message that I called Yes, Yes, No, No, and it's right out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and instead of starting with the sermon this time and beginning in the first verse of chapter 5 and going to the last verse of chapter 9, I've been poking around at it. And we did some things out of chapter 7, and now we've been doing out of chapter 5, verses 31 through um, 42. And we started with verse 37, which says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything more than this comes from the evil one. So if you haven't listened to that one, you might pause and go back and listen to it as it's the preamble to what I'm about to say today, which is what your yes, yes allows. And I'm calling this one practice, practice, practice. 
Hope that's simple enough for us to remember. It's really part two of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 31, verses 31 through 37, actually. So I want to talk to you about what a practice is, what habits you long to have, how you learn them, uh, what we think about failing in them. And I want to remind you of some things that you have all done as, uh, as human beings, if you're an adult, and if you're a mother, you're teaching your little ones to do, to tie a shoe. I've often thought it would be just such a fun podcast to have all the various ways that parents have taught their children. Is it the rabbit ears? Is it around? Is it in the middle? Do you push that through the first hole and then you have two holes? I I hear parents all the time talking about how they're teaching their children to tie their shoes. And when you have a three or four year old whose shoes are coming untied, even when you double knot them 14 times a day, you want that child to learn how to tie his shoe. So at least you can shout as he's running off about to trip and break his nose tie your shoes or learn a language learn a language maybe it's a foreign language that you're learning because you're about to travel to that country but what about learning the proper usage of our own language how about learning to be respectful learning to be respectful I'm soon to talk to you about some things that have to do all in the world with respect but I noticed that our culture has less and less appreciation for respect, just kindly respect for one another. So learning habits according to God's best for us is a way of life. If you've made a surrender to Christ, then it is a way of life for you. You are longing for new habits. You say, by the end of the year, I want to read through the Bible because I'm reading it every day. I want to learn... Uh, of passage of scripture, scripture memorization. I want to read through the Gospels. I was just telling a group of young women that I meet with that if you read eight chapters a day, eight chapters a day, starting in Matthew, by the end of the month, you will have re- read the entire four Gospels. And I remember the person who told me to do that, and I thought, the Gospels. I was much younger. And I thought, the Gospels? Well, the Gospels are good. Yeah, well, yeah, I should do that. And when I was finished with that, which took six months for me, I read it six times in six months, the Gospels. It was life-altering. I saw what Jesus did on this earth, what he taught on this earth. It was, it was life-changing. So often when I fail, I find that... Um, I do it again. Do you ever feel that way? Um, I was thinking about it as I was preparing this time together. I fail, and then I fail again, and I'm annoyed that I'm failing again. It's a very provocative question, and I think, what is it you think when you fail? What do you propose to do? Why do you feel so badly about failing again? And I propose to tell you today that the reason why we fail at developing good habits is that we don't practice them. We don't practice them until they're second nature. I do not any longer have to set an alarm to wake me up to go and have my time with the Lord. As a young woman, I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. I tried everything. I've told this story hundreds of times. And one day the Lord said, set the alarm. And when you wake up, you'll hear 
the alarm. And I thought, okay, I can hear the alarm. I'll do that. But when I woke up, I, I not only heard the alarm, I heard this. Now, I don't know if God talks to me this way or with my own mind, but I heard, get your fat thigh out of bed. And I laughed out loud. My husband still thinks, well, I was doing it, 4 a.m. in the morning, laughing out loud. In that small passage of life, that was the time I had to get up to find quiet in my house. We had four children, my sister-in-law, David, and work, and it was such a busy house. It was the only time it was ever quiet and that I would be awake. (laughs) Get your fat thigh out of bed. And I laughed out loud because what I thought was, you know, if you move one thigh, the other one goes with it. It, it it just, all I had to do was really exercise that simple, just get one thigh out of bed and do it until it becomes second nature. The practicing is ours, not God's. God's grace and my practice fulfill. Elizabeth Elliot always said, God ordained that you participate. God ordained that you participate. And I wondered for many years, what does that mean? What does my participation look like when the great God of all majesty and power is the other half of that equation? Well, he ordained that I participate. And my participation is practicing. Participation is a root word, practicing. The power in the world is still at large and and does have power, not more power, than God's power, but does have power. So today I'd like to look into this let your yes be yes and your no by no no by topic. And there are four topics in this small end of chapter five. Well, not the end of chapter five, but end of the section we're choosing. The first is marriage. The second is speech and sincerity about our speech. The third is oaths or Um, swearing on someone's word, and the fourth is integrity. So I'd like to read these few little verses as we go along. Um, My heading in the Bible I'm reading from says concerning divorce. And I remember as I was preparing for getting to yes, yes, no, no, I thought, divorce, Lord, that is such a complicated question. But he, he doesn't really... He doesn't really speak to us about the divorce as much as he speaks to us about what it takes to stay married. Oh, oh, you mean there wouldn't be a divorce if I knew what it was to stay married. So he says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries divorced woman commits adultery. Well, it sounds to me like it's all about Divorce and adultery. Well, what is divorce and adultery? What's the root of those things? What is the adulterous task? And it is what he's talking about that we are men and women of our yes and our no. Does it take a yes to get married? It takes a yes. It says an I do. To whatever promises you have made, they are an I do. And if you are at all conventional, at all conservative, you say, until death do us part. Not a hard concept. It's hard to accomplish, but it's a pretty simple concept. What does that mean? I said yes to live with you till death do my part. 
So that means I'm not changing my yes, yes and making it a no, no somewhere along the course of marriage. So again, we come to his let your yes be yes, your no be no. Sometimes we get stuck in money matters at the same time in marriage. And I couldn't resist just throwing in the idea that it's the same thing we do with money. We say yes to a credit card because whoopee, I have some credit and I'm going to go out and spend it. And then when the bill comes, we say no, no. No, you said yes, yes, you signed on the bottom line, then this is your yes, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. There are two touchstones that the Holy Spirit can be present and guide us moment and moment, decision by decision. I have a young friend who I meet with regularly, and I talked to her recently, and she said she and her husband had had a whooper. Now, a whooper, I don't know if somebody whooped someone or she meant whopper, but she said a whooper of an argument. And I giggled a little, and she described it. These two are not these kind of folks. But they were, first of all, late at night. Take my wise advice, no serious discussions after your bedtime. If your bedtime is 9 o'clock, then not till, none after 9 o'clock. If your bedtime is 10.30, none after 10.30. She said they got started about 11 o'clock. And in that conversation, they said things they didn't mean to say. They were tired. They were angry. They had not come to the place of having a truce. And if you want to know about a truce, you need to get a copy of my book, um, Home is Holy Ground. No, that's not what it's called. It's called uh, something. Subtitle is Home is Holy Ground. You should not write books you cannot remember the title of. Um, God gives us clear instruction His light transfigures us, and he shows what is right and what is wrong. There's not a circumstance in marriage that is so dark that God cannot make it right. And it includes our continuing our yes in marriage and our no to divorce. That's exactly what these two verses are saying. Just don't do it. It's this book, Oswald Chambers once said, this book, the Bible, is not written for babies. I I remember reading that. I love Ozzy. We call him Ozzy. We read him every day for decades. And um, I thought, that's it. This book is not for baby. It's written for men and women who face the facts of heaven and hell and God's position and are willing to do what is right and shy away, say no to what is wrong. The word can alter our disposition, right our wrong thinking, and turn our hideous tragedies into the dream of dreams. Soon we're going to have a couple come and visit with us on air who um, had a hideous tragedy. A hideous tragedy is a perfect phrase for what they went through and what they went through for a long time and how many people discounted them. And that hideous tragedy has been turned into the dream of their dreams. And that was because they said yes and would not let the no enter into their marriage. The second um, in this chapter, this end of this chapter, is concerning oaths. And this is verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said in those ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven or by the throne. So what does that mean when he says, carry out your vows, you shall not swear falsely? My dad was a person who swore falsely 
regularly. And I think you could just call it lying, but it wasn't always verbal lying. It was lying that often centered around just breaking the rules, just breaking the rules. After he died, I received a notice in the mail for a parking ticket, one single parking ticket in the city of Chicago, where he parked his car in a zone that said no parking. It didn't say no parking between 12 and 1, and the print was small and he couldn't see it. It said no parking, and it had a red um, red curb, no parking. He literally parked in the no parking. He got out of his meeting, took the ticket off the window, tore the ticket in half, and 12 years later, that ticket cost seven hundred dollars. Do not swear falsely means you will do this or you won't do that. If nothing else, the man signed for the state of Illinois that he would drive his vehicle and obey the laws. But he could not do it that way. He could not do that. Do not swear falsely saying, I will do this or I will not do this. May you stand before a friend, a family member, or a court of law. You could do that for saying something that you didn't mean to say. And while that may scare you, may I tell you, standing before God, having said yes to things and changing your mind, then you will be um, saddened to a greater, greater, greater depth. I have a friend who's uh, about my age and um, got into very serious financial distress and he believed that he would work hard and God would provide and he would pay back every dime and even though all of his debtors said it's okay it's okay I wash it I wash it I don't know for how many years exactly but I know for many years that followed at the end of every year when there was a profit in his pocket he took the profit and divided it among these people, and paid back every dime. May I tell you how I feel about a person who does that? He would never want his name to be known, ever. He has kept that. I think there probably aren't any more than the debtors and two or three of us who know that he did that. But he believed that what he had said was yes, and he was going to do that. I think we should refrain from saying yes. We should refrain from speaking if we are not sincere. I believe we should be as honest with ourselves as we are with one another. Anne of Green Gables says, the promises I make to myself are the most important promises. This is about the inside of you. This is about corrupt co communications that make you feel mean and narrow and unfulfilled. Practice speech that is sincere before God. Then we look at the next two verses, which are uh, simply a follow-up, and that's about giving an oath. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, or you cannot make one hair black or white. <laughs> I have lots of both black and white hairs. But have you ever heard someone say, by God, so help me by God? Never call anything to that nature. Speak truthfully 
and simply resting on the truth of God and the truth of what you can do. Let your let the Spirit speak through you and through your words, words which are truth. Now, my husband's a lawyer, and he has had to call witnesses to the stand to attest to something that had been said or done. What God is saying in this passage, you don't need to do that. So we're backing this up. If you're a woman of your word, yes, yes, or no, no. You don't have to say, yes, yes, I promise. You don't even have to use the word I promise. Or yes, yes, on my mother's head, or my father's grave, or my friend's word, or all of the things that we want to attest to in making an oath. He says, this is not necessary. And in the last part of that verse, he calls us to be reverent. What do you hold reverent? Have you ever held something reverent and then let it go? It just, it seemed it wasn't as reverent as it should be. One that came to my mind was the little children running on the altar at church. And as a young girl, the altar was a place where the pastor was and the musicians were, the choir was, and it was an organ or a piano. And that was where the leaders of our congregation led us. It wasn't a playground. And if there was running around, they went to the church basement or they went outside to the yard and they went on the swings, but they didn't run on the altars. Hmm. I understand young women say to me, it's just a building. It's just mortar and bricks. Yeah, I think it is. But I think at some point we have to say, what is reverent to me? How do I hold something in reverent? The scripture tells us not to use the Lord's name in vain. It also tells us not to have vulgar speech. Uh, vulgar speech today is everywhere, everywhere. On television, on shows that are just on regular television channels, there's vulgarity. Using his name in vain. It means saying I love you and then not demonstrating it. It means implying you will pray for someone and then not praying for them. And lastly, of these four here in these few verses, is the word integrity. I had this happen to me very, very recently. In the last four or five months, a woman said to me, I thought by this time in my life, I would be a woman of integrity. I, I, I can still feel this rush that was in me. I thought to myself, I wonder what she thinks integrity means, and I wonder what she thought integrous life would look like when she got to this age. I didn't ask her any of those questions. But this passage that we started with, let your less yes be yes and your no be no, is exactly where integrity comes from. Speaking out of two sides of your mouth is not integrous. I thought it was always funny when I heard that. I think, how can you speak out two sides of your mouth? One side over here, one side over here. But I knew that I'm just visualizing something that isn't it. This is about honor. Jesus Christ himself, all through the trial that we're looking at in these days of Lent, he made himself of no reputation. He did not defend himself. He did not in any way do anything that would divide himself from being Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He didn't defend himself, yet they called him a glutton, a wine-bibber, 
He was devil-possessed. The only time that he defended anything was when he defended his father, when they dishonored God and they dishonored the house of God, and you know what he did from this. I heard this said once, and I've never forgotten it. When someone slurs you or says something like you're a wine-bibber or a glutton or a liar or a pig or whatever people use, think of it like mud that's flung onto your coat. Okay? Got that? And let it dry, because then it will just flick off. Yeah. That's what Christ showed us. Oh, it hurts. Don't believe me, it hurts. It's a sting that is very deep. And I'm very quick with my brain. I want to respond and say something clever. I want to retort. I want to deny. I'm learning, continuing to learn how I need to let that mud just fly onto me. And I'm very grateful to be a woman of my age, to not have many mudslingers in my life. What I say and do is who I am. My yes is my yes, my no is my no. The real question we need to ask is what rouses us? You don't need to explain yourself. Augustine said, Oh Lord, deliver me from the lust of always vindicating myself. We make mistakes. We fail. Some we can fix. Some we can't. Some we can always move toward change. Then I do well. And I am well. And I'm glad. Do you want to be a woman of integrity? Then you need to practice, practice, practice being a woman of your word. Letting your yes be yes and your no be no. And these very heavy subjects of marriage and divorce and money and oath and imprisonment and retaliation will all not be a concern to you at all because they won't affect you. Because your yes will be your yes and your no will be your no. Fear and suspicion are not of God. They are the work of the power loose in this world. Thank you for joining us. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. And remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out making a very uncommon day of saying yes and meaning it. <laughs>